On this week's episode, Lee Griffin struggles to understand the romance of flight. I mean, you were you were going everything pointed to you should have been higher. Anyways, you guys are just so afraid to fly high. Takes so much time. We just love the view. Just right. love that view. The view from down low is better. We're aviation romantics, Lee. Scott Boris learns about the limits of having up-to-date charts. So even those up-to-date charts you always carry, Scott, they they still might not even be on even, those. Even the ones from like 03? And I get off into the weeds with hypotheticals. Yeah. And like have the one have the guy on the jet ski like grab Touch the wheel the of the J3 Cub like while it's going over. That'd be cool if somebody were to do that. I don't know. I don't know anybody who's ever done that, but it sounds cool if, sounds if it cool. did happen, right, sounds Scott? Sounds really it cool. Does sound cool. That'd be that'd be pretty sweet. Be pretty sweet. I just don't know if it'd be legal, like you know, hypothetically, if someone were to do that yeah, like back in the day. I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting to think <laughs> about if somebody were to do that, though. Welcome to the Far Aim Podcast. Today we are covering AIM seven six three obstructions to flight. Despite you searching for 7-6-3 on the internet and finding things other than obstructions to flight, this, to our knowledge, is the most accurate version of what 7-6-3 obstructions to flight is. What was the other one you kept coming up with, Scott, that's wrong? Uh, well, according to faraim.org, it is near-mid-air collision reporting. I don't know. Yes, that's wrong, okay? This is why you listen to the Faraim podcast. We have higher integrity than the FARAIM.org. We care. We care about this more than they do. What? Apparently apparently the most up-to-date version is obstructions to flight. Yes. So that's what we're going with today. Uh, Part A. We'll just jump right into it. General, many structures exist that could significantly affect the safety of your flight. When operating below 500 feet AGL, and particularly below 200 feet AGL, it's above ground level for anyone who's wondering. While 14 CFR 91.119, I don't care what that is, uh, allows flight below 500 AGL when over sparsely populated areas or open water, such operations are very dangerous, Scott Boris. And below 200 feet AGL, there are numerous power lines, antenna, towers, etc. that are not marked and lighted as obstructions and therefore may not be seen in time to avoid a collision. Notices to airmen, no TAMs, are issued on those lighted structures experiencing temporary light outages. However, some time may pass before the FAA has notified or is notified of these outages and the NOTAM issued. Thus, pilot vigilance is imperative. So this is, I think we've covered, maybe not a specific episode, but it's certainly come up. When you're over sparsely populated areas, you really don't have a legal requirement for how high you have to be flying, correct? Yeah. What defines sparsely? Just 500 feet away. What is persons or property? Define sparsely populated area, though. That is a good question. Anywhere that you can avoid being closer than 500 feet away from persons or property, I guess, maybe? Well, I think they characterize most of the, you know, most United States as densely populated. But, like, all the underlying stuff is, you know, in the event of a a power failure, you avoid undue hazards of persons or property on the ground. So I think you could make a case for flying low when you know you could avoid that. But I don't know. That's all in the eye of the <laughs> FAA inspector who shows up at the accident scene. Yes. I may have made, I may or may not have considered Lake Erie sparsely populated area for the majority of my flying career. Well, I think it is. Right. It's over, over water. It's, you, you can, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, you're good. As long as you're 500 feet away, like laterally. 500 yeah. feet above, right over top, or 500 feet off either side or any side. Yeah. It's like a 500 foot half circle above the yeah, boat, right? Yeah, it's a bubble. Yeah, it's a half sphere. Yeah, that's right. We, we may have broken so If you're not directly of it, it slowly starts to taper off where you can be lower and lower and lower. Yeah. As long as by the time you're on the water almost going right. into it, you're 500 feet off the side of the boat. Yeah, I think yes. it is. Yes, right. Yeah, it tapers off. Yeah. What was that, Scott? 
I said, just think of it as a bubble. Yes, like bubble boy. Yeah. I don't think we ever violated that rule, did we? I don't no. know if anybody's no. ever violated that all. rule. No. 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 Never. Doesn't sound like is it, we do. Is it if if you're in coordination with the person or property, is it still a violation? It sounds like it is. Uh, that's a good question. Though. Or maybe. I, w- I would say that it still is. I mean, kind of the formation flying is kind of what it sounds like you're talking about. You know, you can't do formation flying without, you know, prior acknowledgement from the other pilot involved or from the pilots involved, I guess. But. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's blending those two together. It's just, I don't know. It seems to me like if it's coordinated beforehand. So, like, let's say you want to go take, you own a boat, you want to go take pictures of that boat, and you want to get, you want the right shot, and that needs to be 200 feet away. It's your boat. It's your, you know, somebody in your family, and everybody's cool with it, driving it. Why not, right? You know, it was pre-planned. Yeah. Yeah, everything. Or, like, you had, like, a J3 Cub and, a like, a matching yellow jet ski, and you wanted to, like, get them formation, you know? Yeah. And like have the one that the guy on the jet ski like grab the wheel the of the J three cub like while it's going over. That'd be cool if somebody were to do that. I don't know I don't know anybody who's ever done that, but it sounds cool if, <laughs> it, sounds if cool. it did happen, right? It sounds Scott? really it does cool. Sound cool. That'd be that'd be pretty sweet. Be pretty sweet. I just don't know if it'd be legal, like, you know, hypothetically if someone were to do that yeah, like back in the day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to think about if somebody were to do that though. It's an interesting thing. Very oddly specific. I don't know why that popped into my head. Part B. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird, Bob. Yeah, this is an oddly specific random thought. What did I just read? You're doing uh, B, antenna part, towers now. Part a, yeah. Now we're doing antennas. Yeah, we're, yeah, part B. That's um, blah, blah, blah. no tams. That's like talking about lights and stuff. Oh. I mean, if you're... You, how often we, we talked about this without you, Scott? You check no tams, right? Uh, what's a what's a no tam? <laughs> no, we talked about because remember he's like I'd be the one issuing it. Oh yeah, t- and I've never issued one in my life. <laughs> You'd be the one issuing one that, in your flight area anyway, and you said you've never issued a no tam. I don't know if that ever made the cut or if I cut that out. Oh okay, I was probably joking because I've. Like, I'm not going to be the one issuing it, but... Was your dad do it? Well, usually it's Ben or my dad. Like, I think okay. my dad... I think... I don't know. Those two Those two handle it. I'm not really sure. Yeah, airport manager is supposed to, so he can probably delegate yeah. Ben to do it, I'm sure. Why don't, why don't you just... Why don't you get involved with that just so you can see the process? So then when it does come up... Because I'm just curious, like, what What's from an airport... That, this can't be that hard to do. I would assume not, but I'm just, I'm curious. No, I think you probably just call like Cleveland Approach or Cleveland Center on the phone and describe you ever been, it to Have you them. ever been involved with issuing a no Tamily? No, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works though. Okay. Yeah, if somebody's said, been involved, yeah, ch- chime in, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty simple. Describe yeah, to them what the know. notice, the outage or something non-standard that's going on. You basically verbally describe that to them. They transcribe it to the best of their ability, what you're trying to relay. And that, sh- that should be all there is to it. It's probably a niche segment of the FARAM listenership um, that would be in the position to issue a NOTAM. But uh, if, if you are, shoot me an email. Shoot Lee an email or Scott. And uh, just curious. Or Part- if you're in the position to do it, but you've also never done it. <laughs> I, yeah, I want to hear would, about that yeah. too. <laughs> that would also be interesting. Because I don't, I, there's a lot of, I get a lot of feedback from a lot of different types of people who listen to the show. That's, I'm always like, oh, that's interesting that that person listens. And then, but I've never gotten an email from somebody who like, owns an airport from the audience. So I wonder if how many... How yes. many are out there? I'd be I'd be yes. curious. Obviously, Very Scott curious. has Scott has eight eight Delta, which is the official airport of the Faring Podcast. But I'm curious if there's any listener airports out there. We'd love to know. We because we'll probably look into it and maybe mention it on the show at some point. Well, uh, at some point, if we do like a cross country like rally, we're in need stopping points. 
you yeah. know, friends of the far aim with like free gas involved and things. Well, whoa. Who's sponsoring the free that's, gas? That's the not... owner of the airport. Oh, oh okay. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Now we're not going to get any, any volunteers. <laughs> right. No one's going to be calling us to what airport. Nope. I just signed yep. Change my mind within 30 seconds of sending these guys an email. Oh, I lost my track. Oh, that the marathon though. We Lee and I have one planned for someday. For we someday. Has a, there's a few more steps we gotta do on this journey before we can go that route. But yeah, it, it's gonna be epic if we can pull it off someday. Yeah, uh, cross country of cross countries, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Part B: Antenna Towers. This is, uh, Lee, you have any idea what inspired me to pick this one for tonight? Scott was missing on that episode, so he doesn't, he wouldn't remember. Previous episode, we brought it up. Uh, yeah, you're talking about those towers, towers over by Toledo, aren't you? You're like oh, threading yeah. the needle. Scary. Yeah. I forgot, I've had, forgotten about them. Have you ever had any interaction with those, Scott? Uh, no, I've, I've seen them off in the distance and thinking like, man, I'm staying away from them things. Yeah. I've never gotten like super close to them. You know, we've seen them, but. Well, go listen to episode 68, Scott. Yeah. I'm not going to rehash it here, but uh, I had uh, I had a, quite an interaction with them back in the day. I don't know if you remember me telling story. you that story. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've heard it, yeah, years ago. I but... can't really remember it. What was it sometime I... when you were doing like a night flight to Toledo or something? No, it was daytime. Oh, okay. Thank God. I'd be yeah. dead if it was nighttime. Yeah. Right. Well, they might be that's the thing that stuff cuz they cuz it lights on them, but Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah, but I just feel like you'd be less sure because the 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 it plays plays with your head, like the visuals yeah. at night, like the light flashing could from certain um perspectives blend in with ground lights. And, and like you might not have the right perception of how high they are as you approach them. So, like, they need to be off the side. They can't be underneath you because as you approach them, you might not have the right or uh, might not be able to perceive how high they are in relationship to your altitude. I, I would probably rather do daytime myself if I just, like, yeah. pop myself into well, that scenario. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. But that's it's tough about flying low, and that's a whole other reason why I'm an advocate of flying a little bit higher within reason because a cell phone tower, you know, they're talking about 500 feet, 200 feet. A cell phone tower pops up almost overnight a light is out at night things like that it's just those things happen and they can be weeks before they actually get a light repaired and we've all acknowledged how little people actually check the notams other than maybe temporary flight restrictions yeah part b antenna towers extreme caution should be exercised when flying less than 2000 feet agl because of numerous skeletal structures such as radio and television antenna towers that exceed 1,000 feet AGL, with some exceeding higher than 2,000 feet AGL. Most skeletal structures are supported by guy wires, which are very difficult to see in good weather and can be invisible at dusk or during periods of reduced visibility. These wires can exceed about 1,500 feet horizontally from a structure. Therefore, all skeletal structures should be avoided horizontally by at least 2,000 feet. Additionally, new towers may not be on your current chart because the information was not received prior to the printing of the chart. So even those up-to-date charts you always carry, Scott, they they still might not even be on those. Even the ones from like 03? Yeah. Some of those times that are on there probably aren't even there anymore. They've fallen over. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's the a disclaimer ones... right on the sectional too. Yeah, about that. About what? There's a disclaimer on like it's in the one of the margins on the sectional. You know, this this chart does not purport to um something. I you know it uses the word purport. I always thought it was funny. Ba- yeah, basically, it doesn't always have the most up to date information because they can finish erecting a tower like the day after that chart was printed. Yeah. So. So that, I mean, nothing beats, you know, having your head up, looking out the window, you know, and I don't know if ForeFlight gets more up-to-date information, because, I mean, they're digitizing, you know, the FAA sectional, but I wonder if it's got a way of 
putting those in there after the fact. Or if there is some other chart. I mean, there's so many different charts now. Like, I know Jepson has, like, their own VFR chart. I wonder if that's more up-to-date. I, I just It'd be interesting to see if those are actually more real-time versus the paper sectional. I don't know. Jepson had their own chart now that, that competes with a sectional? It, well, I, well, I wouldn't say it competes with it, but it's um, I know it's on our uh, Jepson Flight Deck Pro app that we use. And there's, so you can, you know, put that filter on so you can, you know, do low IFR, high IFR, VFR charts and shows you like a lot of, you know, it's designed for VFR flying. We never use it, of course, but it's on there. I mean, I've looked at it for sure. It doesn't give you as much detail or anything as a sectional, but I can see how it would still be useful, very useful navigating. I wonder if it's more up to date. I don't know, though. The ForeFlight app, they're basing that off of the sectional chart, though, aren't they? Well, yeah, that's what I said. I think they're just digitizing the sectional yeah. charts that the, the FAA puts out. So, But I wonder if they have a mechanism for taking that data and in between the r- refresh cycles of put populating. I mean, the symbols shouldn't, I mean, I, but I don't know. I mean, I could see that as being a definite advantage. Yeah. And oh, and what about, um, what about on like on a 496 or a Garmin era or something like that? That tells you obstacles. So I wonder how often, you know, that gets updated. Because the yeah, section is like, the, what, every six months? Yeah, the Garmin stuff. Are they still doing like the, I'm sure on the older models, at least, if not still the new ones, you got to have that SD card. You're always yeah. swapping out and putting in the computer to do updates and then putting the new one in and all that jazz. Yeah, I'm, no, yeah, you're definitely still doing updates. Definitely still doing I just updates. wonder if it's automatic now. I, f- I would think. I feel like they're beyond SD cards, but I, I haven't yeah. flown in any modern airplanes. But how would it get... S- how would it get its data? I don't know if there's a Stratus uplink or something. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe. Yeah. Man, we are old school. I don't know. I just know like the new cars and stuff, like all the software updates just are over the air. Like you don't have to like plug them in to do anything. Yeah. You only have to plug them in to power them. You don't well, have to plug them in to do anything else. That's, that's true. But. Yeah, but they're all they all have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all well, kinds of stuff. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I is it Garmin era or you know whatever the newest stuff is? Is that I know that I'm sure they're Bluetooth capable. I'm I'm sure they're Bluetooth capable. But how how would you get the data from like Garmin via the internet to update the database? You well, take the, it inside and connect it to Wi-Fi and it, it'll upload probably. There's newer stuff other than the the 430. Well, there's definitely newer stuff than the 430. They got all new. <laughs> I know. You know, 650, and they got like 796, and all kinds of. Wow, those are getting to be some big numbers. Next thing you G3. know, they have like a G1000 or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, but now they've gotten small. Oh, there's a G5000. But 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 they've also gotten that. smaller on the other end of the spectrum. They've got the G3, G3X, so. They, but that yeah. that stuff that one that stuff's hardwired in there. Like that's not you're not taking that into the house to go connect to Wi-Fi. So that yeah. that stuff might still be SD card. Who knows? Somebody out there knows. Probably beyond the probably beyond the purview of kind of the conversation here. But yes, uh, part C. Overhead wires, overhead transmission, and utility lines often span approaches to runways, natural flyways such as lakes, rivers, gorges, and canyons. And cross other landmarks pilots frequently follow, such as highways, railroad tracks, etc. As with antenna towers, these high-voltage power lines or the supporting structures of these lines may not always be readily visible, and the wires may be virtually impossible to see under certain conditions. In some locations, the supporting structures of overhead transmission lines are equipped with unique sequence flashing white strobe light systems to indicate that there are wires between the structures. However, many power lines do not require notice to the FAA and therefore are not marked and or lighted. Many of those that do require notice do not exceed 200 feet AGL or meet the obstruction standard of... 14 CFR Part 77, and therefore are not marked and or lighted. All pilots are cautioned to remain extremely visual, vigilant for these power lines or their supporting structures when following natural flyways or during the approach and landing phase. 
This is particularly important for seaplane and or float-equipped aircraft when landing on or departing from unfamiliar lakes or rivers. So, Scott, yeah, that's where the big stuff. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Lee. If you got, I know you're. No, that's just thoughts. where the, kind of the big. Some of the big stuff is like that. Almost that whole last one is just they summed up in the last sentence. Is you know seaplanes. You got to think they're doing the most remote stuff, and you can go to an unfamiliar lake or river or follow a river or whatever. You know, low. You know, going low, and in between the trees down this river, and you get power across the river. It's going to be in power lines. And it's hard to see until you're right on top of them. So that's one of the things with seaplane operations, guy wire avoidance. And just know where you're going if you don't stay a little bit higher. I mean, everybody knows that it's super cool to be going fast, you know, down, you know, down a river and have that perception of speed. But it's also very dangerous because you are paying more attention to maintaining your orientation over the river and not clipping a wing on a tree or something like that and hugging the terrain not so much looking at um, guy wire avoidance um, or power line avoidance. So it's a distractor. Just flying the airplane in this case is almost a distraction from looking for the guy wires. And that's why it's best to just avoid putting yourself in that scenario, fly a little bit higher, you know, still follow the river, just follow it from a safe, a safe height. Yeah. I'd say this is mainly for, yeah, like seaplane operations uh, as far as the airplanes are concerned, but this is if you're flying, um, helicopters, that's huge. Uh, and even if you're flying like ultralight vehicles, they usually fly a little lower, like a powered sh- powered parachute and weight shift control aircraft. Spend a lot of time down low compared to most other planes. If you look at like the Bell Jet Rangers, if you ask Jeeves or whatever your favorite search engine is, uh, image search like a Bell Jet Ranger, you'll see these like spikes going off the top of the windshield up and then a lot of times on the bottom too you'll see in front of the skegs coming off the like the belly of the chopper a spike going down in those images or if you see one at in real life IRL as the kids say these days those are actually sharpened so if you the chopper were to accidentally get a line and it somehow managed to avoid the rotor blades up top which obviously you can't protect against that. If it hits the rotor blades, you're screwed. But if it hits the front like canopy, like you fly straight into it and it slides up or down the chopper, it'll cut. Huh. It'll cut. It'll cut the uh, cut the wire is the theory. I didn't know that. I don't know if you guys knew that. We're privy to that info. I don't know where I, I knew that. that. Okay. Yeah. Don't mind that you just cut off power to the pump to that nuclear reactor that's cycling cooling water, but at least you didn't crash that helicopter. They probably got a backup. I mean, if, you, if they're they got a backup, I, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Oh man! Right. And if you didn't have those and it went people. up into your blade and you took it out, you'd be cutting that anyway. You'd be breaking that line in half right. anyway. Only the helicopter would crash as well. Yeah. Right. At least th- now it's a nice clean cut, so they can fix it's it easier. easier. They splice it together really nice. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Nice that's true. Sheer straight cut. Yeah, I and yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mean, the amount and think of like what the purposes for a lot of these helicopters are. I mean, I'm sure the Bell Jet Ranger is probably not the number one choice for power line patrol or uh, stuff. At least, maybe not anymore. Maybe it still is. I don't know. But not many other helicopters have them that I know. Like that yeah, is it's, like it's not common, which is weird. You would think like. You know, the R44s, R22s doing, you know, being like almost purpose built for some of those types of uh, industries that would have them. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know why you don't see them more often. I'm not a helicopter pilot yet, though. So, right, right. But yeah, that is just so iconic on the Jet Rangers, though. Yeah. To have that. Well, somebody found out the hard way, I guess. So, yeah. that was. But that. I didn't think about the other ones though, the ultralights and the way shift control. That's a really that's a really good point. But I guess in those, I guess you're operating at a much slower speed. Yes. So you have time to maybe avoid time. something. But I don't know, is there a difference in maneuverability on the way shift control in the powered parachute and stuff like that? Could that be, you know, can those cancel each other out? Like, yeah, I have time to see it, but I'm not as maneuverable, so I can't make a directional change or an altitude change as quickly. 
Yeah. I mean, helicopters, obviously, if you see it, you can hover, you know. Right. Right. Totally. I mean, they're the most maneuverable thing in the sky. Yeah. But as far as a weight shift control powered parachute, they're going so much slower so they can see and avoid. But I mean, they can see and react. But is it enough with a reduced maneuverability to be able to avoid? That that's my question. I don't know how maneuverable any of those any of those are. I guess it depends on how late you see it. Well, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Which is nothing replaces kind of good aeronautical decision making in terms of fly a little bit higher or whatever if you're in an unfamiliar area. Lead to like a weight shift control. You, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just gonna say two thousand feet or fifteen hundred feet, you're gonna go take a powered parachute up that high? No, typically it's not. kind of, yeah, probably against kind of the the code of conduct in one of those things. Right. Yeah, you, uh, you, you do if you're doing like cross-country stuff. That's a cross-country altitude. Yeah. Um, That's cross-country altitude for Scott and his 150. Right. That was yeah, a cross-country altitude when I ended up inside of a bunch of towers. Yeah. Right. See, but you don't have that problem when you fly higher. You don't have that problem. Like if I saw that, if I was in a helicopter and I was in that situation, I could have stopped all forward momentum and just gone straight up, which would have been. But beautiful. also, you were at that altitude. So that means you, there's a possibility that you didn't see it at all before you hit it. Yeah, but I did see it. So. But you did. But maybe if I was next in a chopper, yeah, I wouldn't have had to add full power and full flaps so that I could climb while simultaneously keeping my nose down, so I could still see and avoid the towers because my nose wasn't blocking me. Forward flight progress. I read you. Should have just been higher. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Twenty twenty hindsight. Right. For sure. Um, I just. I mean, you were you were going everything pointed to you should have been higher. Anyways, you guys are just so afraid to fly high. Takes so much. Time. We just love the view. Just right. love that view. The view from down low is better. We're aviation romantics, Lee. And we it just, takes forever to get up there. Yeah, too. The, uh, I like yeah. to see. I like the, to see those sights. Do you know anybody that's ever hit any uh, power lines? Um, no, not that I know of. Thank you for asking. I just recognized. I just remembered you can't see me. So, yeah, no. Um, no, I, I can't think of anybody offhand. Oh, okay, okay. Hmm. I'm sure they'd uh, tell me if they had. Yeah. Though. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, that must not have happened. Fake must, news. Yeah. Must not have happened. Yeah. All right. Um. Moving on from that train wreck. Uh, what? Where were we? Wires. Scott, didn't you say you f- saw a field where a guy had a runway under wires? Yeah, somewhere. I can't remember. Yeah, Ron, um, Ron Stone. Did he? Yeah. It was like halfway down his runway. Zollner or Stone? Uh, I want to say Stone. Where was it at? I don't remember. I didn't think Stone had his own runway. He always had his planes here. Um, Zollner had his own runway. Yeah, no, that's what, yeah, I remember where that one is. Yeah, maybe I'm getting my wires crossed. Maybe, I, I'll, it's some, God, that name keeps coming to my to mind, but I'll have to I think see, on it. I can't remember where I saw that one. I feel Zol, I, I feel like I've seen Zolner strip back in the day, and I don't remember wires being over it. it no. Was, it was, I don't think so. It was inactive by the time we were around, but no, I don't think it had wires over it. There'd be no reason for it. That just seems I mean, we're talking about the one over there off uh, camp, right? Yeah, that was Ulner's. Yeah, I don't think it. Had yeah, I don't. I can't think there. of any power lines that would have gone that way. No. no. But yeah, either way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I there, is, there was somebody semi-prominent around that had power lines going over top of their runway, like halfway or something like that. I'm trying to remember where I saw that one at. We're going somewhere. I can't remember where we're going. This just seems like a terrible place to set up a runway. But well, if you already well, own, like, let's say you already own the property and then you decide to get into flying. Yeah. It's just it's not ideal. so sketchy, though. Oh, I would hate it. I would hate yeah, it, I but... like it. I suppose you'd get used to it, but I mean, once you did it a lot of times, it would probably not be that big a deal to you anymore, but... Like, what's your, like, your go-around procedure? Like, if you're too high, you just... you. Stay. You still yeah, have to go lower to go around. Well, or not that not that you do go around, higher. Scott. But yeah, I mean, you just we really shouldn't. Do it depends well, on what time. What, what, if, what yeah, yeah, what I time mean, does it happen? You're gonna make that call. I'm usually. Well, yeah, I feel you, like. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, I mean, you probably have a point in mind. You know, it's not so much the go, no-go decision, but are you going high or going low? Yeah. There's probably an altitude in mind. When I, If I have to go around after this, a, a deer runs out or a bird flies in front of me, am I going low and, you know, and then getting underneath and going up, or am I just going straight up now? Or did you notice so early you could actually turn and just do a, a big circle back around before you even got to them? Because what would be almost worse is maybe like, let's say you have um, a north, south, east, west, or I'm sorry, a, a, a southwest, northeast configuration. So it's kind of in line with the, a lot of the prevailing winds around here. And the, if you can imagine it, picture the um, power lines to one far end of the runway. Like it's still situated over top of your runway, but not centered, not perfectly down the middle. It's off the, to the, to one end. So you have to stay way low, like on on takeoff. You can't just climb like normal because you climb into them. Like every even a normal takeoff, don't worry about a go around. But a normal takeoff, you have to go under them. Like if it's middle of the runway, you don't, you're not going to climb that fast probably. But what if it's at the far end of a runway of a direction you're taking off often, and you always have to keep your nose down and climb out a little uh, like s- slow climb, but fast airspeed. That would be a worse situation, I think. Yeah, yeah. that would be more annoying than right across the middle. Because it's every time. It's not just go-arounds. Yeah. It's every time you take off, you have to deviate around the power lines. I feel like on the go-around, I would be more inclined to, if it's if it's on the edge of go up above or below, I'd almost always go below because you can more easily guarantee your descent rate than your ascent rate, your climb rate. There's a ton. I, I would agree with you 100%. I'd be almost 98% of the time. I mean, I can't think of a reason why you'd go high. Because, you know, if you go under it, you have better visibility up instead of down because you can't see through the airplane. That's below, You know, the nose is out there. So you can't assure that you're going to clear. I mean, you can be pretty sure looking out the side, but side windows. But you can't be sure. You have better visibility. You have... You know, again, you can ensure that you can descend a certain amount. You can ensure the climb. I agree with you 100. percent And if you have a power failure, you can still go under. Right. Yeah. Then you're not you're not doing a go around though. I mean, you're you're committed to land. So yes, but, you got to go down. Yeah. Anyways. Don't put power lines over your runway. Yeah. But what if what if I mean, I'm yeah. just trying to think like what if the only the only property I can afford happens to have power lines? Am I going to let from an idealistic standpoint? I don't want them there, but am I going to let that stop me from having a hangar at my house? Probably no. not. I would hate it. I would hate it so much. But think of all the hangar rent you'll save and having the airplane right out back. I don't know. I would find some other solution. I don't, I wouldn't deal with that. Cut them. Okay. Cut. One of those. Get one of those things off the jet ranger. I'd buy a helicopter if I was in that case, and I just keep my helicopter behind my house. Well, then you don't need a runway, so. Exactly. You're like, oh, I can't have a runway. T- to me, that just that's a property that can't have a runway, to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I see like, that I from at, an idealistic standpoint. I see it. Eh, yeah. I'd do it. Well, I, yeah. I, I figured you would. I mean. Yes, Scott. Wouldn't have a problem with it, other than the fact that you already have a airport runway that doesn't have any of that, so you don't have to worry about it. Well, yeah, but the only property I owned had power lines going across it, and I wanted a runway. I would do it. I'd, I'd probably try to trade property or do something. Yeah, I mean, right, right. Anyway. Just could, yeah. Go ahead. No, that's it. I'm done. That's all you got. All right. Yeah. We part, uh, part D, part Delta. We ready for that one? There's other more? objects and structures. Yeah. yeah, there's other. There's always other. Okay. Good, 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 good. There are other objects or structures that could adversely affect your flight, such as construction cranes near an airport, newly constructed buildings, new towers, etc. Many of these structures do not meet the charting requirements or may not yet be charted because of the charting cycle. Some structures do not require obstruction marking and or lighting, and some may not be marked and lighted even though the FAA recommended it. So an example I have down here in the Florida, South Florida, in the Florida Keys, I forget I forget the term for it, but there is this weather slash... Oh, it's a balloon, yeah. You know, spies on Cuba, cameras and stuff. That's What is it, like 14,000 feet up? Yeah, it goes way up. 
it's way high and there's a cable going up insane and yeah there's some you cannot see the cable basically yeah uh, in most in most sunlight situation and angles, anywhere near that area, that is the good thing because there's you can you can ask Jeeves at whatever your preferred search engine is. Duck, duck, there duck. are incidents where planes accidentally hit it, and I mean basically just shears off the part of the wing that hits it, and you've part of your wing sheared off. You don't fly anymore. Right. Yeah, I've seen that on the ground when we've gone down there. I said it was actually. Like that airspace that it that is that it is in because it's kind of a big airspace area. So you got to think if the wind's blowing, it's not fourteen thousand feet straight up. It's fourteen thousand feet of cable, which yeah. can, if the wind's strong, can be way downwind. So you're kind of like, where is that? Where is that balloon? Where is that cable? You know, and um, uh, it was actually we actually saw it on the ground when we were coming in. So even though the airspace was like active or whatever it was. We looked and looked and looked, and you know it was kind of a cloudy day, so it was like we were like really anxious about it. And then we saw that it was on the ground, so we're like, okay. They may have more than one that they're putting up and down, right? Uh, well, that's you all, and that that thought occurred to us as well. And then I think at some point we eventually talked to the controller and like, yeah, we don't see this balloon. Is it is it up? And they're like, no, it's not up today. Okay. So, but yeah, it would stand to reason you'd have more than one. But yeah, if you look on the Miami sectional out in the Keys, there, there's this weird looking circle, and it's for that. It's like you said, it's not just one little spot you got to avoid. It's this radius that the cable can swing out. You know, if it's blowing out of the east, the thing's going to be way west than normal, and that cable's going to go up from its tether point on the ground towards the west. So yeah, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. I'd stay way away from that. You guys think of any others besides crazy antennas out northwestern Ohio? We have a lot of kind of tall antenna farms. You know, windmills, of course, are becoming more and more prevalent, but those, you know, 150 feet or whatever, there's going to be lots of those. But those are not that hard to avoid. One, they're low. Two, they're bright white, easily identifiable, and they have something, they're lighted, they have moving pieces, a lot of things to draw your eye. So I, I don't think those are, those are that much of a threat to to at least conventional airplanes. You know, a powered parachute and things that are flying kind of, I don't mean this in like a condescending way, but somebody that's flying kind of insanely low, like right on the deck, you know, getting the thrill of it right at the treetops. Those are the people that are going to have to worry about that. But I think there's enough visual cues to the windmills and it's a big enough area, and it's rarely just one. Normally, it's a bunch of them. It's a, it's a farm. So I think you have a big area. You just avoid the whole area, and you're good, and I think everybody, I don't think that's ever an issue. I haven't heard of anything. Yeah. So I'd like to think that's so visually identifiable that it's not likely. Do they, like the, they don't like the tips of the windmills, do they? Who's that? Oh, light oh, the know. tips? Not that I know of. Yeah, you're just talking about how much further those can extend. Right, because those can be like hundreds of feet on the huge ones. Oh yeah, right. They can almost double the length or the yeah. the height of the thing, height, and yeah. way wide. Yeah, I guess that would be diff- that would be difficult. But those things are massive. Yeah, Some of them are insane. All right, um, yeah. This episode that pretty much sums it up. If you haven't listened to episode sixty-eight, zero six eight. That's kind of inspired this, my story about almost hitting the, what, where did Eccles say they were? Mommy Bay up in Northwest Ohio. There's giant towers. If you look at the De- Detroit sectional, like kind of the. I don't know if it's Mommy Bay or not, but it's up near Toledo Express. Yeah. If you kind of, you go Lake Erie towards the left of Lake Erie, South Shore towards the west, towards the west end there. There's some really tall towers. All of our BGSU flight students who listen to this program probably know what we're talking about and uh all the lake Erie island flight legends as well uh yeah that's all i got for this one mm-hmm. yeah. pay attention well, before we wrap it up though that elevation figure lee what is maximum elevation figure yeah is that what it's called that's the yes. proper terminology Yes. Each each sectional chart has a maximum elevation figure. Uh, if you stay above that, you, in theory, should be good. So 
pay attention to that. Each quadrangle, is that the correct yes. terminology? Quadrangle? Yes. Oh, man. Yep. I am getting good. Man. I listened to episode 68. That's how I know all these. If you listen to me in episode 68, I should not know the verbiage at the time. But I learned them because I listened to the Far End podcast, just like you. And Yes, pay attention to those. And uh, yeah, that wraps it up from, from my side. You guys got it? nothing? We'll re- go into five-star written review time. Do it up. Great podcast. Entertaining and educational at the same time. Great topics and really enjoy listening. Roy Rhoda. Thank you, Mr. Roy Rhoda, for the five-star written review. You have not given us a five-star written review and you listen in the Apple Podcast app. We do appreciate it. Actually done studies. It says that actually doesn't help us in the algorithm of at all. But it's just fun. Just fun. So we're going to keep uh, keep doing it for now. Reading those and encouraging you guys to do it. And gals. But uh, yeah. I don't know. If, yeah, we've had we've had female leave five-star written reviews, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, at least one that I can think of. Okay. Ladies out there. Okay, you're 10% of the audience. Underrepresented in the five-star written review category. Um, we've got to change that. Anyway, Step thank it you up, for ladies. Step it up. <laughs> Anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, Until next time, take care. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. That's a good, good. Just put in, just say some, say thank you or something. I'll edit it in. So it's thanks, thanks guys, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> Glad you guys could be oh part of the God. show. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh, to, that was classic. To thanks to listeners like you, we can keep this old <laughs> podcast going. <laughs> You are good at this, Scott. You're a natural. You're like a natural radio personality. I know. It just flows off your tongue so smoothly. Yeah. Just that connection, you know? I know. I'm good. I'm good. I totally, speaking of, speaking of natural talent behind the microphone, I completely forgot to put our emails in, though, but we'll probably be okay if we forget it once. Yeah, whatever. Probably. Yeah, I always put in the show notes. But I'm yeah. searching for an article. I know that I heard they were talking about um, some big solar panel arrays they put out in the desert in um, um, somewhere in Africa. I just and they're like, holy they, shit. I mean, I, I know they produce They heat. do. What is a, go stand in a black top versus a grass field. You oh, know sure. that it absorbs heat. You can feel it radiate. Well, yeah. If but... you cover what was previously a grass field with some super eco-friendly black solar panels it's gonna radiate heat into the air yeah well i mean yeah i mean it definitely does i mean that i I, a blacktop parking lot is going to radiate more heat than a grassy field that's why they paint the roofs white in places right yeah i would think so if it's very sunny that would be very they have a very high albedo keeps the house cooler the building yeah it doesn't absorb heat which it actually strength it actually lengthens the wavelength of the light the yeah yeah, the light but which turns into heat was it the greek is it the greeks that have all these villages on like the adriatic and the greek islands that's like all white and blue painted buildings that always looks nice yeah beautiful i mean beautiful area i'd never really want to go there one of the guys i fly with he's going there in june Oh, I I definitely want to go there. Oh yeah, I have no desire. No, I'm gonna sail gonna my boat Ireland there or England with my or solar something. panels on there. Well, yeah, on a on a sailboat and stuff. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm I'm all for the solar stuff. If I put solar panels on the roof of my house, there's no difference because my roof emits the heat anyways. Right. 
Like that's a net zero. My roof is already dark. The solar panel is also dark. That's cool. But to go put these, um, sorry about that pop. You go put solar panels. We're not recording. I'm probably well, not going to leave it. I don't know if I'll leave this in or not, but it's not. As oh, no, I wouldn't leave this in. I thought we were way done. Yeah. Well, sometimes I, I just feel... throw stuff in if it's interesting stuff at the end. Well, but... I don't think we're going to get there, but. No. But so to put far, it over top of it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, go. go. I know Scott's no. interested in this. Yeah. I, I, oh, no, it's okay. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I. I definitely like solar. Are we trying to affect climate change or are we trying to save money? And I'm be trying to save money. We're trying to save money. Yeah. Right. I don't, so I don't like, care about the, I don't really care can, about the climate change. If I can oh, buy I, I don't care at all. Yeah. If I can buy something at a reasonable price that's going to generate me free electricity, then I'm all for it. But it's a little too expensive at the moment. But it's Yeah. You're better. not getting enough it's, out of it. It's getting better. I mean, I feel like by the time I need a new roof for my house, it will probably uh-huh. make sense to put a solar roof on. Because my how many even up up in Ohio, probably. How many will you need though? Because you can still generate a fair amount of power even on a cloudy day if you have enough panels. Yeah, but the new ones, like the panel, is the roof. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, like solar shingles or something they're called or something. They they look like they're like they look kind of like shingles, but they're actually like a bunch of little solar panels. Yeah, you can't you can't really even tell on the on the higher end ones. You can't really even tell that they're solar roofs. I wouldn't pay extra just to make them not look like a solar panel, though. I would get the base model where you can. It looks like shingles, but you can tell that it's not shingles. But they're not. I mean, they're not quite cost effective enough to for somebody like me to buy because I don't care about the environment. But yeah, <laughs> but it's you know I feel like. I probably, this roof should be good for like 25 years total. So 25 or 30 years. So I probably got another, probably got another 15 years left at least uh-huh. on it. 15 or 20 years. Uh-huh. I feel like technology by then would, it will be cost effective to put a solar roof on the house. What do you think about doing? Know. Cause see, I don't care if they look just like a normal old solar panel because I would right. rather get well, the efficiency. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. That's why I would I'd rather the, get the efficiency out of the panel and have it look like an old school panel than have the efficiency hit, but it right. looks good. Yeah, because you can make they they make them both ways. You can buy cheaper ones that they serve as a roof and a solar panel at the same time, and they look like solar panels. Oh or no, I, buy, I I don't care if I do a metal roof that's good well, for yeah, forever. You can do that. You can do and that then too. Mount Old school solar panels that right. look gaudy as shit. You can do that too, but then you're paying for a metal roof and solar panels as where if you do... Yeah, but won't that metal roof have a longer life than those solar panel shingles will? I would think. I don't know. I th- solar panels are glass. I mean, they last basically forever unless you break one. Until the next hailstorm. Well, yeah, but I assume... They're tempered, aren't they? Yeah. They're, I mean, they're yeah. probably pretty heavy duty... Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they tested all that shit out, but yeah. eventually, you're. I mean, well, I would I mean, think I that. I don't know what the lifespan. I, I I would assume you, you. The only reason you'd replace them is for more efficient model of them. Right, which but, I would have a lot less to replace than you would. Well, but if I if they're already generating enough electricity to power my entire house, then why am I going to replace them for a more powerful model? You know, um, I guess if you don't care about the environment, there's right. no real need to. Yeah, no, that's why. If you see, put, I would. If you care, if you care about the environment, you wouldn't replace them because that's just going to up your theoretical what, what they call it the footprint. If yeah. you buy more, that's causing twice. That's causing more units to be manufactured. If you are yeah, concerned about all that you, stuff, that's your your footprint and everything would increase. That's the big picture footprint, though. That's the big picture footprint that most people don't even think about. They don't think about their powering their Prius or their Tesla with from a coal fired power plant. Right, but if you you don't want to think about that, that's that's the dark dark secret. If they get more efficient, they could power your house and your Tesla without plugging into the grid. Then you're you're you never have to buy gas or electricity. 
But my well, that's my the only thing. interest you can, in this I mean, is you like can do that now. for the boat. Yeah, you can do that now, but the initial cost is so high that it never really pays oh. for itself. Right, right. No, I think no, I think you're on it. In 15, 20 years, right. when you're due like, for a new roof anyways, I, look I and see buy, what's there. I could buy a Tesla and have Tesla put a solar roof on my house, and I would never buy electricity or gas ever again. But the initial cost of buying those things would be so high, it just wouldn't be worth it. it, it savings would never pay for itself. But I just think... It, Especially you. You drive five well, miles a week. Well, right. I mean, if I bought a Tesla, Nicole would be driving it to work every day. Not me. So it'd be, you know. Okay. It, it would save. I mean, I don't know what she spends in gas, but I imagine she probably spends 20, 30 bucks a week in gas. I don't know. Driving to work and back. Yeah, but those are so, those cars are not cheap. You know what I mean? So it's oh, like. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I would just buy one because the new ones are like, if you buy the fully self-driving model. Like you don't have to drive. That, that's the selling point for me, not the electricity. I'm waiting for the. I want to get a, when Mercedes Sprinter vans become fully autonomous. Yeah, self driving. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm I gonna want. buy one and send it to the. There's companies that will make them sweet camper setups for you. Right. Yeah. And then that way I can just go back and forth from Florida to Ohio whenever you want. Whenever I want. And it not have to drive it. Right. I'll just have everything ready to go. Like you get off work on a Friday or something. You yeah. just walk straight into it, hit the button to start going to Florida. And like right. it just starts driving. You can watch TV, watch TV internet, beer. make dinner, all that stuff. Yeah. And then go to bed, go wake to bed, up in the morning, in Florida. do your morning routine, hang out in the camper for a little bit longer. Then you're eventually here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Boom. And it's like you don't feel like you just spent the entire time driving. Yeah. That's my If opinion. only you two could see the look on my face right now. <laughs> as well, you guys talk it. about that Jetsons shit show you just described. No, it's not that far away, Lee. It's not that I don't want it to be I don't want it to be close. It's close. It's what? good. I, I th- Scott and I have had this conversation before. I think this is gonna hurt, oh, it's gonna the, hurt airlines. the regional airlines. Yeah. Regional airlines, once they're self-driving vehicles, oh yeah, who's gonna fly? Are going to take a hit? Yeah. Because if, if your car, like, if car you don't, while it yeah. drives me somewhere, then I don't need to go to an airport and deal with all that hassle. You've like five xed your driving range that you're t- like the average yeah. person yeah. is willing to go that they normally get on versus getting on a plane for right. you five X to what your car is capable of doing for you without the headache. Like in that situation, self-driving car, I probably wouldn't even buy airline tickets to go to Florida. I would just, no. Yeah. Oh, and that's totally believable. And you know, like that, you talking about the Mercedes Sprinter van, that's like diesel, right? So, I mean, yeah, that's probably yeah. got a 700 mile range. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, you're not even, Stopping well, for gas that much, it's probably going to be more fuel efficient than you driving it. Those will all be on top of it. In, in well, that's a true few too. Years anyway, then you won't. Yeah. Well, so how are you going to power that to go cross country? I mean, that's another thing. You probably have a time. diesel generator backup. Well, to yeah. The Ford top plans it on, off. Ford plans on having a a diesel generator built into their F one fifty. It has. To, that's the only way it works. So it's, it's the only but, way it well, works. 90, 99% of the time, somebody like me would never need the generator. But if I do decide to go on a longer trip, then I don't need to worry about a charging station. But also the charge times have gotten so much quicker. Like the new Tesla is like from 20% to 80% is like 15 minutes. So, and they have like a 400 mile range. So if I got to wait, if I got to wait 15 minutes for another Three or four hundred miles of range, like that's not really that big of a deal. Oh, you've never been on a driving. Well, you have. Only we weren't that focused on getting here fast. Well, yeah, yeah. But I, I do quick turnaround. My dad and I set records. Oh, we do Palm Beach to oh. Palm Beach to Huron. Oh, we do too. For to Maine, when we go to Maine, it's like we stop. Th- we make three stops the entire way. That's a I'm not even going to say what my dad and I back and forth trying to see who yeah. can do it faster because it's you do the math and it's just no way to do it in the yeah. speed limit. 
but we can't we our records are always set when we're either just the two of us or we're by ourselves if we've got like if my mom's oh, on on board stop. Yeah. or my sister or if i got a girlfriend with me it's the long it takes forever yeah because they, they have to stop. Now have kids. some kids in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, I've never Gandhi even dealt like, with that. Gandhi makes like 20 stops. They go to New York. They go to Buffalo, which is like three or four hours. I think it's four hours. And they'll make like five stops. Unreal. That's insane. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. Okay. All right, kids. All right, boys. Later. that oh, yeah, let me hit I the do. record button scott you you explain your theory about why you don't won't drink a beer okay. on a thursday well drinking while during, i go get a beer well drinking during the week just waste weekend beers it's like you ever eat lucky charms lee yeah okay well do you just scoop as you go or do you eat all the brown ones first so that you save the best for last I don't I don't save the best for last, but I don't randomly scoop. I very strategically You hear that? I missed all scoop. of that. Because I was grabbing yeah. a Mick Ultra out of my fridge. You scoop you eat the brown ones first and you save the marshmallows, the good part for the I wanna, oh God, I'm glad I missed this. this I want is, a little bit of marshmallow dumb. with every bite. No. Nope. All or nothing. Why? Because it just ruins Because you're it. still eating the brown ones. You're still eating the marshmallows. Yeah. Why not have a little bit of gratification in the, every bite? Get the get the bad stuff out of the way. And save the good stuff for, for later. That's But that's yeah, but what if alcohol. what if I get interrupted? If what if I, I get interrupted? Week, if I drink if I drink during the week, then it's not as good on the weekends. I don't see how that's possible. I drink I mean I drink every day. It's like all you're doing is marshmallows, Scott. It's just marshmallows. There's no other yeah, crap. You can't. It doesn't work that way. There's no such thing. It's all marshmallows every to, day. Unless you go to Amish country, then they sell the, the full bags of marshmallows. But outside of that, it's a, it doesn't exist. It's not real. No, I'm talking when drinking beers. It's not like you're saving. It's not like you're drinking. It's not like you're drinking wines. Go drink a wine then. Go have a glass of wine. I don't have any wine. Yeah, it's, and it's not a non-renewable re- resource. I mean, it's not a finite sploosh. amount of beer. There's yeah, more beer. Sploosh. There's a finite amount of beer that I will allow myself to drink in a week. Which, you know, that's you, an arbitrary number. Why? Why restrict yourself like that? Scott, I, I, I follow know. the same strategy when I buy packs of Truly. The lemonade, lemonade ones, just the straight lemonade flavor is not that great if you so buy you the lemonade multi-pack. So I drink those during the week so that I have a bunch of black cherry and mango lemonade ones on the weekend. But the moral of the story is I'm drinking all week long because <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. I, I won't add any more interjections. 2021, I, and, and, and we're not allowed great... to say things anymore. Oh. Okay. Go ahead, Lee. No, I, I never really thought about it that way. So, yeah, in Rob's example, I mean, you're still drinking all week. You're just kind of like, I'm going to save the best for last. I'm, I'm saving the best type well, of be drink like, f- be like for the weekend. Yeah. Beer on the weekdays, and then I drink, drink liquor on the weekends. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I don't I don't drink liquor on weekdays. That's yeah. sensible. Well, that's sensible. That's a sensible life rule, Scott. What you're saying is not sensical. Well, I try not to drink liquor that's ever. Not, it doesn't even make sense. Liquor's terrible. Scott, if you drink different kinds of rum each weekend, all right, you're trying different, you're a connoisseur, all right? Uh-huh. I know people that do okay. that with whiskey. But... Yeah, you're a, you're a whiskey connoisseur if you change it, if you're constantly trying different types of bottles. If you drink the same one all the time, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> okay, I see, I, see, I see the logic, but it's still, yeah. it, it messes with my... Uh, my weekday routine. I think your weekday routine needs to include the drinking, and then that is your routine. You're looking at it all wrong, Scott. You'd probably be less stressed out. Yeah. No, it makes it it makes it look like I look forward to the weekends because it's like, oh, it's the weekend. look forward to each day. 
Look forward look, to five o'clock like the rest of us, man. I look five forward to every no. weekend. It has nothing to do with the drinking, though. Yeah, I don't know. Well, like I can, I can relax more if I drink. But if I don't drink on yes. the weekends, then I, you know, drinking helps me relax. But if I do it yeah, all week, then so, I'm not going to want to do it on the weekends. Oh, uh, you're no. That's not true. I I, I I drink all week, and I still always want to drink on the weekends. <laughs> well. I like to consolidate my drinking into like two days, maybe even one day. It depends. Interesting. Yeah. What a case study. Yeah. It's the way to do it. You should. Let's talk about flying. You're a terrible person. (laughs) Absolutely terrible person. I'd like to to wrap this up by like 8.30 ish, you know? What are we talking about? Oh, my. Oh. Uh, if do you, are you gonna pull it up? Is that part of your yeah. life philosophies? Of I always do. We're in the aim I have, today. I have nothing. I have nothing. So we're in the aim at seven dash six dash three. Near mid air collision. Nope. Seven dash six dash three. Near mid-air collision reporting. No, it's just the obstructions to flight. Nope. AIM 7-6-3, near mid-air collision reporting. What, what website is that? Um, airresearch.com. Okay, well, the 2021 <laughs> ASA printing has obstructions to flight. That in the he book for you, Scott. that I you should have a copy sitting on your desk. Yeah, um, page ten eighteen. Faraim.org. Near mid air collision reporting. They all say seven six three is near mid air collision reporting. Where is the actual paper book, Scott? I don't do you know. do you actually have the paper book? No. The one you got him. Well, it should, I mean, airresearch.com. Lee, are you trying to pull it up too? Or are you finding the same thing? No, I'm not looking for it. No. I mean, is, do I super duper need to? No, not really. I'm going to read okay. the whole thing. Yeah, perfect. I just want to make sure this isn't a weird copy I have. What page? Yeah, I'll get, I'll get my iPad. I have it on the iPad. 1,000... 18. 1018. Obstructions to flight. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Oh, good. Telling you. Everything else, faraim.org even says that it's. I don't know if faraim.org is a, is is the right place, man. Well, I'm it does just not saying. sound rep- reputable. Uh, FAA.gov Co- even says that it's seven six three. So I don't know. I would assume that that would be legit. Wow, we uh, we have found a idiosyncrasy anomaly. Anomaly. That would be a better word. What am I thinking? I don't know, know, dude. FAA.gov slash publications uh, 7-6-3 near mid-air collision reporting. Mine shows obstruction is the flight. In the book or on the computer? This is on the FER AIM app. On my iPad. Oh, on my work iPad. I don't know. So maybe they changed it recently. Yeah. <clears throat> no. I doubt it. Okay, so as long as both our paper books are saying it's obstructions to flight and Lee's copy on his iPad is saying it's obstructions to flight, let's just go with that. 
And you know, well, give me one second. Give me one second here. So I, I, there's an update info thing. No updates available. ASA tracks FAA changes daily and updates the app when regulations and AIM changes affect pod operations. The date shown for the app's update reflects the last regulatory change affecting content. A new update will be released when a rule ch uh, change affects operation. So this is the most up-to-date. says no update available. Um, the, last, uh, the current update is February 16th. And... So something has happened since, yeah, this is 2021. I, I would have to think that this is probably the most up-to-date version available. Yeah. I'm guessing there's when, some... When's the publication date on those two, on the books? Um... Publication date. Basic manual effective August 15th, 2019. Change one effective January 30th, 2022. And change two effective July 16, 2020. Okay. Is all I can get date-wise. Yeah, yeah. That's how, I guess that's inconclusive what, what any of that shit means. Because, I mean, there's things that they propose the rule change don't take effect till a certain date. So I guess that's not a very good example. All I know is this had an update on February 16th of 2021, two months ago. So coming up on three months ago. Yes. This... I mean, I just tried to update it, too, and it said no updates. That's... Says the aeronautical the, 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 the aeronautical information manual is current through July sixteenth, twenty twenty, on ours. I said the front cover. Yeah, I think <laughs> we're good with seven dash six dash three. Seven dash six dash three. All right. And just go by the title, not so much the actual number, but the obstructions to flight title. You know. Yeah, I'm gonna throw it in the title anyway. Yeah. 